we are living in that age now. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you know some people. Do you only know their internet presence? Yep. Yeah. I need anything to drink, like sparkling water would be great. Sparkling water would be so much fun. Okay, awesome. Plenty of caffeine today already. I've got cranberry coconut, and then I've got liquid death uh, sparkling water, and then liquid death buried alive. What's the buried alive? It's just berry flavored. Let me try the liquid death buried alive. That sounds fun. I love uh, buried alive. Yeah, I was drinking these all weekend. I went to Bob Fest this weekend, this past weekend. How was it? It was great. Went down, uh, what was it, Saturday at 5? I got there at like 5 p.m. Stayed up till like 4 a.m., 4 or 5 a.m., mm-hmm. and then left at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. So it was a fun, quick in and out camping experience whatever in the woods on this like little stream yeah that people were swimming in i did see some pictures it looked like it was a good time it was fun i'm definitely going next year did they i guess okay so 2020 there was a pandemic did they do it last year i think so i didn't go last year for whatever reason but yeah what were you doing earlier today i had to write an article and then I went to get coffee with my roommate. That was what I did. Nice. So I started writing the article, and then we went to get coffee, and then I finished the article, and then I came here. Awesome. And my roommate was also talking to me while I was doing the article. What's the article on? Canadian religious and spiritual news. I um, I do the bare minimum because I work in a restaurant, so I stopped. I thought that I was going to be making like my most of my income doing this, and then I realized I don't have the attention span for it. But I write these like contract blog articles for a company called BKA, which stands for Better Keyword Articles. Uh, so I was writing like just whatever at first, just like you know, there's like a system and you just pick which articles you want to write. And then they were looking for writers to write for the uh, Universal Life Church's blog because they have a subsidiary called the Monastery and they, uh, they ordained anybody. I mean, you can be, you know, a, a mom or you can be a rabbi you know, a a like a Catholic priest and you can join the Universal Life Church and be ordained to officiate weddings. They started doing it for like, you know, gay people that want to get married because a lot of the time it's hard for them to find, you know, people who are either Catholic or Protestant Christians to officiate weddings. So this was a means for them to have access to people that would officiate a wedding. But anyway, I started writing blogs for them and then it's kind of like a four-week cycle. One week I write one about, you know, gay couples getting married. One I write one week I write one about marriages. One I write about alternative spirituality, and one week I write about just general Canadian religious news. Oh wow! Okay, so it's mostly theological stuff. Yeah, I don't know if I would call it that. Just news on the yeah religious stuff. Yeah, like right now in Canada, like the the Pope just left. I don't know if you saw this, um, but this time last year they started digging up these these mass graves that were on property of where like these forced boarding schools used to be. They called them residential schools in Canada. So it's a policy of forced assimilation. They used to take the indigenous children away and send them to these schools and teach them how to be Canadian. And among other abuses, they used they were rampant with disease, so a lot of the kids died and they would just bury them in mass graves. And some geologists were, I don't know what they were doing, but they were doing something. They would pick up these heat signatures and they would be like, oh, well, that's a mass grave. So 
this time last year, about from right now, I think through September or October, they found three or four of them. So that renewed discussion in Canada about this policy and um, a lot of indigenous community leaders this time last year were demanding an apology from the Catholic Church. And they went to the Vatican and they met with Pope Francis and he apologized personally. The Catholic Church, though, because they're like he in one respect, he's the face of the Catholic Church. But he is like an apology from the Pope is his personal opinion. It's not necessarily the opinion of the Vatican, the broader institution. So the Catholic Church hadn't issued a formal apology, but in addition to his apology with the delegates that went to Vatican City, he just got back from a trip to Canada a few days ago. So all that to say, this week I was writing about Canadian religious and spiritual news, and that was the big thing that happened. So I wrote about 600 words about that today. Cool. So. I'm going to need to start doing that for my website. It's a completely different topic. Car detailing and cleaning. You have a website for that? Yeah. Huh. Is that like, are you into that kind of thing? That's just how I make my money. It's my business. Right about car detailing and cleaning. No. Are you car detailing? No, I cleaning? do. I have a business called Software Detailing. Okay. And I clean and detail cars. Okay. For money. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. How long have you been doing that? I've been running the business for over three years now. Yeah. But I used to clean my car in high school. I used to always keep my car like super clean. And then I just realized, you know, do it for money. Yeah. This is, this is something that you just, you did on your own. You turned into a business. You don't come from like a family of car detailers. Not at all. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That goes back to what we were saying. That was like, you know, you'll know people's online personality and nothing. Cause I know you really as a drummer, you know what I mean? Right. And then, you know, because of this, mm-hmm. I don't know, dude, I, social media is weird. Especially, I don't know, like after the whole, the, the update thing on Instagram. You know what I'm talking about? What's the, what happened? So they turned it into TikTok. What? Yeah. And they're, they're taking it away because people didn't like it. And so it may have reset by now, but. I never noticed any change. I think you would have had to like update your phone. And I think mine is maybe set to where it's automatically. But basically what it was, was you would open the app. And you'd see a post, and then when you try to scroll to the next one, it would go full screen, and it would either show you a video or a post in full screen, and it was literally just like... It was so like, instead of a feed, yeah, it was like it was, you had to watch them into it. I hate that. Yeah, most people did. I just, I just, I, I kind of just stopped opening it. I was just like, well, I don't really like this. Yeah. So I'm not going to use it. I don't like that about TikTok because then it, you, you're, you're absorbed by one topic or option. And in order to get to a new option, you have to scroll. So yeah. It's just, it consumes so much more of your time. Yeah, TikTok never, I thought that it would, it never sucked me in. It just, it does, it, for me as an individual, it doesn't keep my attention. I get bored. If I'm going to consume like content that I'm not emotionally invested in, I'll watch YouTube. Yeah. But like, I'm, like I don't want to sound like that old person that hates TikTok. It's just like, you know, Part of the appeal of Instagram is keeping in touch with people that you know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But with the update, it'll just show, it'll show you anything. Like something like it is people that you know are in it, but it's just showing you shit. Just sponsored ads and stuff. And there are also a lot of sponsored ads. It, I don't know. It just like it. Yeah, it sucked. It took the charm away from Instagram. It did. But at least temporarily, it's going away. But they were very clear when they said that it is a temporary go away thing because they you know from a business perspective they want to be able to keep up with tiktok because tiktok is the 
the it, new one. It's the new one, and it's also the one that has the momentum. You know what I mean? Instagram and and Facebook, to be quite frank with you, are very established, but they don't. That's not where the growth is at. So, I say that to say I I haven't really been. I've kind of I've tuned out of social media in a way that I have never done before recently because I was just like, I don't like this. I'm gonna go find something else to do. Right. But I think for folks that are about our age, I kind of especially post pandemic, that kind of push you out of touch with the world because that's where it, you know your, your your social circle is at. Right. You know, because like it, it was trending this way before, but certainly after the pandemic, we don't see see each other as much. I ran into you at a show. Right. But that, that was by happenstance. Right. Because Jake invited me out to go see Country Death. Did, is that who you went to go see? I went to go see uh, Pediment. Pet, okay. Got it, got it, got it, got it. And that's... Happy's band. Yeah. Yeah. So, I haven't met him, but I, I'm just from the sort of like, okay, well, it's like we follow each other and we know some of the same folks. I don't know. It's a small town, but even still, you don't know everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to know everyone. It was a good time. The, oh, yeah. That was a great show. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, let's get started here. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Nashville Artist. I'm Jordan, and today Solomon Smith is here. Hello, everybody. Well, welcome to my house. It's a lovely house. So, where are you from? I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, originally. Technically, I'm from a suburb called Mapleton, which is kind of like what Madison would be to, to Nashville. Mm. Uh, so, Mapleton to Atlanta is what Nashville, what, what Madison is to Nashville. To Nashville. Did I say that right? Madison is to Nashville. What Mableton is to Atlanta, or vice versa. You could take any four of those and flip them and, you know. Right. They're about the same distance from each other. So you're pretty close to the city, but you're also, you know, in its own, its own little suburban community. But now I was born there. I was, I was born in Atlanta, but my house was in Mableton. And that's where my parents still live. Nice. Well, do you have any siblings? I have one brother. And he is 20... He's almost 20... Is he almost 24? Yeah, I think, so. I think he just turned 23. Oh, wow. Rather, he turned 23 in September last year, so that would make him about 24. Is he... Uh, in September. Is he also musical? He is. He likes a lot... I think both of us like other things, like a lot, but he's a pretty serious guitar player. He's heavy into blues and rock and roll stuff like when I say rock and roll I'm talking about like you know like 70s stuff but he's like a pretty studied blues musician what is his name his name is Andrew Mm -hmm. where does he live he lived he just graduated from UGA and right now he's just at my parents house like he just graduated in May he's thinking about going back to Athens I think but right now he's just at my parents house I'm actually going I'm, I'm going home on Wednesday my mom just finished her PhD program, so I'm going to go home, and then we're all going to go to Mississippi for her graduation. That's awesome. Yeah. What did she get a PhD? Nursing administration and edu- something like that. I don't I don't know exactly what the program is, but she's a, a lifelong career nurse, and she was transitioning away from the bedside, so she got a master's degree in some form of nursing education certification thing, and then just went on and got a PhD. So she was working on that for about two two and a half, three years. I don't know, I'm losing track of time. But she's been doing it for a few years and now she's finished with that program. Oh, nice. Is your, is your dad also in the medical field? or? No, he works for UPS, but for me, is when I was a kid, he was an educator. He was a, a special, he, like he taught special education. And then he became a school counselor, a guidance counselor. And then he did that for most of my time as a young man. I, as a young man, as a kid, that's what he did. Nice. Uh-huh. 
So what were you into as a kid? I read a lot, and like I had like Encarta. I don't know. Do you remember Encarta? What is Encarta? <laughs> Encarta is an online encyclopedia. So like we had a. Oh, I went. My dad had like his his. My dad is from Kentucky. His like they was like a traveling salesman that sold them a bunch of encyclopedias in 1968 so he would have been like 14 that year but traveling salesman sold them a set of encyclopedias and he just kept them so like i was reading like i had like a set of alphabetized encyclopedias from the year 1968 but i didn't know they were from 1968 that it got to do just books to me and then i had we had like a, a personal computer this is the early and mid 90s obviously and I, they wouldn't allow me to have like fun video games so they gave me like jumpstart and encarta which is an online cd-rom encyclopedia yeah that kind of stuff so that's what i remember doing the most like i was in little league baseball but i was never really good at it or i don't even know if i wasn't good at it i don't like you know i just you know it was just a thing that i did right but yeah i don't know like I was always into like learning kinds of things like I was never like I, I didn't really do sports or anything like that like my dad tried to make me an athlete that obviously didn't work but those are kind of the earliest things I remember I remember those encyclopedias and I remember Encarta on CD-ROM and I remember Jumpstart <laughs> what other kind of books would you read I really like dinosaurs um, I remember the Magic Treehouse series oh yeah dude I read a shitload of those yeah yeah, those were pretty hot back like when I was in like first and second grade. I, I, I missed the Harry Potter wave. I don't know, because I guess my parents thought it was evil. I don't know, but I've, I don't know, I've also never really been a big fiction person. I always had like a lot of um, reference books, like D and, I can't remember what DNK stands for, but you remember like the DNK reference books? Maybe. Like, there's it's a big red logo, it says DK on them, and they would be about like, this is what it was like to be a knight in the 1400s, or they'll be about like I don't know archaeology or like rural religions, those kinds of things. I always had stuff like that, just a lot of educational stuff, which makes sense because my dad was an educator. But I watched cartoons and stuff, you know, like I liked SpongeBob and I liked Dexter's Laboratory and that kind of thing. Oh yeah, Dexter's Laboratory. It was a good one. Yeah, I was, but I was still partial more so to to Nickelodeon than I was to. Cartoon Network. Yeah. Yeah. I went back and forth. I still remember the channels they were on. 34 was Cartoon Network and 28 was Nickelodeon. Was that cable? Yeah. So we had satellite TV for a long time. Like, I don't think we got direct TV until I was maybe 13 or 14. We had, like, literally, you, do you, did you, have you ever seen satellite TV? Yeah, I think so. Like, with, you had, like, the massive dish that was, like, bolted into the ground, and, it, like, when you changed the channels, it, like, turned. I think so. How big was the dish? Like, like it looks like a space antenna. Like, it, the size of this room? It wasn't that big, but, like, it was I, probably, like, uh, a, as big as that refrigerator. Okay. Yeah, like, it's, it's, a, it's literally a big metal satellite dish that, like, points up into the sky. Yeah, I remember seeing those. <laughs> We had satellite TV for a long time, and like so, like you know, like the channels weren't just a number. You had to go to like, 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 like Cartoon Network on satellite TV. At least with the carrier that we had was G1-8. So you'd have a remote, and you'd go like, and then it would bring up like F4, G1, C7, this kind of thing. Like at Cartoon Network was G1-8, 
and uh, Nickelodeon was at four three. Wow. Yeah, but that I don't. I'm I'm sure that that's not not a thing like anymore. I don't know if that was like a precursor to cable or if it was like an in between. Like I don't know. I, cause I I don't know anybody else that had satellite TV where we lived. I just remember we had it, and one day somebody just came and like got that satellite dish, and then we had like the small like dish network or uh, Comcast things that sit on top of your house. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, cool. So what first got you into music? So, I don't know, my dad, like, dabbled in it when he was younger, so there were always instruments around the house, like, there were keyboards, and there were a couple of basses, and to make a long story short, I used to, like, just tinker around on the keyboards, and he asked if I wanted to take piano lessons, and the first time I said no, and then he asked again, like, maybe a six, six months or a year later, and then I said yeah. And that was kind of, that was that was really kind of where it started. Like he always listened to music a lot, so I like I grew up around it, but I didn't like really start. Well, I, there was that. I guess I did play the cello for a little bit, and I guess I was in chorus for a little bit too. But I, I don't know. I was I was always like around it, in a in a very like adjacent sense. Like he had he he had accumulated a lot of musical gear over the years, and he just wasn't really doing anything with it. it was just sitting there. And sometimes I would just be bored and I would just like tinker around with it, beep, 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 pop, 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 pop. And then I got lessons. That was like, when I took piano lessons, that's like really kind of like where it started. But I did play cello for a little bit and I was in chorus for a little bit. And I think I sang like one solo in church like one time when I was like seven. So it's kind of just always been there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were your early influences or certain artists that you're like wow they're really cool I want to be like that I think the the first thing that I really really remember like so this would have been 2005 2006 I bought now that's what I call music I don't know which one that was maybe 18 it might not have even been 18 but Feel Good Inc. was on it by the Gorillas. you bought what I'm sorry like now that's what I call music now that's what I call music. Like, you remember those? I think so. I remember yeah. now. Yeah, like, it's like now. Yeah. That, yeah, okay. that's what I call music. Okay, yeah. yeah, I just remember it as now. <laughs> but I, I bought one of those CDs. I don't know where I got the money from, but I like, bought one of those CDs. And I remember Feel Good Inc. was the last track on it. Yeah. So I bought, I bought Demon Days after that cause, because that song was on it. So that, that was like the first album that I bought with my own money because now that's what I call music isn't really a good album. I mean, it isn't really, it's not that it's not a good album, but it's not an album. It's just a compilation of popular songs at that point. Right. And it's funny because that edition of it, that has Mr. Brightside on it. Oh. It has Feel Good Ink on it. It has 2AM Breathe on it. You remember that one? I'm not sure. 2AM and she calls while I'm still awake. Can you help me unravel my latest mistake? I don't love him. It was, she. Ne- I think it's like by Anna Nalick or something like that. She never had another song that... I'm aware of, but that song, it was huge when it was out. That song was on there. Holla Back Girl by Gwen Stefani is on that one. It's the very, it's the very first track on it. And then there's some, there are a few tracks on it that just didn't go on to have the same legacy. Like there's a, there's a, there's a early Akon feature on there by a dude named Baby Bash called like, I think it's called I'm Back. There's a song on there called Girl Fight by Brooke Valentine featuring Lil Jon. I think Ludacris might be on it. But yeah, like I, Mr. Brightside and Feel Good Anchor on it, man. You know, those are, at this point, yeah. those are classic songs. But I bought that. And then I bought Demon Days by the Gorillas. 
like with like with some money that I had from Christmas or some shit like that. And that was like the first album that I think that like it was the first one that I ever picked because like you know my parents listened my and my mom did, my mom isn't a big music person but my dad is. He listened to a lot like Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye, and he listened to a lot of the contemporary like gospel music at the time or inspirational music at the time. That was like, you know, Donnie McClurkin and Fred Hammond and that kind of stuff, which was real popular back then. And I guess they're kind of like, that's like classic inspirational music at this point, but at the time they were contemporary. Yolanda Adams. But Demon Days was probably like the first thing that like, that I picked. Because it's like, and at that point, like I'm like, I'm, I'm like 11 or 12 or 13. So I don't know like who Damon Allgaard is or I don't know who Blur is and that kind of stuff. Like, in my mind, as a kid, like, Gorillaz is, like, actually a band, you know what I mean? But it's, even, even, even for its time, it's a, it's pretty diverse, because it's, like, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's rock and roll, but it's kind of electronic, and there's a lot of hip-hop on it. Right, some dub. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's, it's a diverse record. And, I don't know, like, but, but like as a kid like it's just music you know what I mean like it's it's just music and it's fun and it's either good or it's not or you either enjoy it or you don't you know what I mean but I really really liked it like all the songs on it were really really good and just compared to what my parents were listening to it was just all like it was just, it was just different you know what I mean but I don't, I don't know I, I don't really revisit it but I, I just remember it like a lot like I don't know have you ever have you listened to it like all the way through Demon Days uh-huh. oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Love girls. Yeah, I, I, I think Pl- Plastic Beach was the follow-up after that one, or was no? It's uh, wait, Demon Days. There's yeah, one in between. Is there not one in between there? Yeah, I can't remember what it's called. Cause I know that there's a they have a like like Stylo is the single with Bobby Womack on it. Oh uh, yeah, that's from Plastic Beach. Okay, so damn that that must have been the next one then, which is weird because. I think that was in 2009, maybe. Okay, so maybe they're not as far as apart as I think then. Okay, that that sounds about right then, because that, that that'll only put them about four years apart. 2008. Yeah. That that sounds about right. That sounds. Yeah, I remember right. when Plastic Beach came out. Yeah. I think I was in ninth or tenth grade. That sounds about right, because you're like I saw your birthday in that the book that you were showing me for your grandmother. So you're you're about a year older than me. So that that sounds about right. But I didn't listen to it nearly as much. I'm, like the singles on it were pretty good, because um, Melanie Hill is on that. Is on, is on Plastic Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, what else is Super on that? Fast Jellyfish. Yeah, that one's good. Yeah, yeah uh, I haven't listened to that song in a minute. A lot of them, some of them play like commercial, which I like. Yeah, I, I see. I don't, I don't know this one as well as Demon Days, but yeah, I do remember that tune being out. It's like the little goofy commercial about the microwave jellyfish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's like sang to you in kind of hip hop slash kind of rap form, but it's like you're walking down the street. Yeah, yeah, that stuff is cool. But yeah, man, I don't know that that. I can't I can't think of any there's the the only other record like that obviously a few years a few years went by between point A and point B but like Demon Days was kind of like the first music that I picked like on my own and like got really emotionally invested in and then like the next big 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 one was it's not a big record at all they only had one album there's a band from Portland called Hockey and they had an album called Mind Chaos and like I remember me and my, my brother we had uh MLB 08 the show like the baseball game EA Sports oh, yeah. they had just like a bunch of tunes on it or whatever but they had one of their songs on it 
and like this was like right around the time where like YouTube is like starting to walk in the world or whatever. So I like watch some of that. It's like a, it's like it's like a a pure like new wave album. Like it it's good and it, but they you know like for one reason or another they just never had any real like follow up. Yeah, and I think that because I think they had like a little bit of like a deal, but it, the deal ended up not going anywhere. And then there's like a couple of like self releases under the same name, but it's just like one dude. His name's Ben. That album is pretty fucking cool too. I, I and I, I still listen to that. Like when I go for runs, I still listen to that album because the cuts on that album are actually pretty good. But it in in the grand scheme of the world, it didn't really make a big splash. That's cool. The Marshall Mathers LP. Like I, I spent the summer living at my uh, my cousin's house, and she she had like a bunch of like records, and that happened to be one of them. Like she had like the Marshall Mathers LP and the Eminem show on CD, and. I, was, I think I was just curious and I just put them on and I listened to both of those CDs a lot which is weird because like they did not age well like from a content perspective but the songs are good like the songs on those records are really really good and for Eminem to be like such like a well for, for, for peak Eminem like Slim Shady LP Marshall Mathers LP Eminem Show LP like those three you know incredible rapper and for him to be so influential, I also like kind of like loathe him. And it's not even necessarily because of the content, but just because like what he went from and what he turned into and what like the, the, the genre of rap music that he spawned is just like, I cannot believe we have that. <laughs> like some of that stuff, I just like, like there, you remember Noisy? Okay, so you know Vice News? Yeah. Okay, so Vice had a subsidiary called Noisy where they talked about music, and this was a thing from about maybe 2012 to 2016. Like, I don't remember them writing anything past 2015 or 2016, but somebody wrote an article called Sing for the Moment. You you remember that song by Eminem, Sing for the Moment? Yeah, maybe. It, it, It samples Aerosmith's Dream On. Probably... It's one of it's one of his more notable songs, and it's on it's on the Eminem show. But it like, and this isn't like because like now if you listen to rap music, like they'll sample songs, but it's it's rare that you hear songs that are like they they just flip the sample and you rap over the sample. Like maybe it's like sparse here and there, but this is like it's Dream On with Eminem rapping over it. Like essentially is what it is. But this article was like Dream On is the. It's the, the it, it was the birth of white rap, quote unquote. Like it says that this song was like the the moment that like Yellow Wolf became a thing, and like MGK before he became like a whatever the fuck he's doing now became a thing, and like uh, stuff like that. And some of that music, I'm just like, it it just makes me groan. But like, because early Eminem isn't like that. But like right around the 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 the, the sing for the moment, cleaning out my closet era that kind of just spawned like an entirely new like subgenre of rap music that sometimes it just to me it's just a big eye roll cringe it's very cringe but a lot of people are into it like it doesn't really matter what i think that is what i think but a lot of people are into it right okay so you said your first instrument was piano if you don't count cello but i don't really even count cello so okay yeah main instruments piano guitar sync yeah awesome so how did you start out playing music? Was it school or like did you have so bands? I, I took piano lessons and then I like played like a little song that I wrote and like a I didn't sing, I just played like the piano like I like my dad had this old keyboard 
it had like cool synth sounds on it and it had like a it was like one of the old keyboards that had like the the drum loops like programmed into it so you could like you could push a button and then like it would play drums and then like there was like a little subsection to where like there was like an intro section for this drum part and there was like a verse section for this drum part and there was like a bridge section for this drum part and a chorus section and you could like set them up to like trigger or whatever and you could save all this shit on floppy disk because that's how old it was it's like that old of a good keep i think he still has it it was made by a company called insonic which if i'm not mistaken is probably one of the only like american keyboard manufacturers from that era and i I don't think they make anything anymore because obviously, you know, like the the workstation keyboards when those were a thing, like those that was all dominated by Japanese companies. There was Yamaha and Korg. Casio didn't really have workstations. The the big ones were work were, were Korg and Yamaha. But he had an Insonic workstation or whatever, and I had like played like this little song that I wrote that was called Midnight Rain because I was 11 and I just thought that was so fucking cool or whatever and I played the, the fifth grade talent show with it then that was that was the thing that happened and then I was 11 at that point I didn't really do like I, like obviously I had piano recitals and I had that from the time that I was about 11 to the time I was about 14 and then sometime around the point where I was 14, I, I, I realized through a long and slow, painful process that maybe we'll get into, maybe we won't, we won't see what happens, but I realized that when you take piano lessons, you're learning to play the piano. You're not really learning music. Because I can play the piano, but I'm not a pianist per se. Like, I can play the guitar, but I'm not a guitarist per se. You know what I mean? Like, I play... Yeah, I play like I, I can play the bass, but I'm not a bassist per se. I haven't really dedicated like time to studying an instrument. I just understand music in a very general sense. You know? So like what it basically what ended up happening was you could back in the day you could um I, you would probably still do this, but like you used to be able like you remember when like Apple became cool? Mm-hmm. So like when Apple became like cool in like 2007 and 2008, they would set up these genius sections at the app, these genius sessions at the Apple Store that you could book with like an Apple employee, and they teach you how to use. They they would teach you how to use a Mac. They teach you how to use Final Cut. They teach you how to use Logic Pro. We were going to some mall. Like the Atlanta area is full of malls. I can't remember which mall it was anymore, but we were going to the mall. My dad, brother, and I going to the mall to hang out with this dude who was like one of the Apple geniuses and he happened to be like a progressive jazz bassist his name was Vince and he um I was he taught me like how to use logic or whatever and like I knew enough about the piano to you know play a few chords here and like you know like play a bass part here and there or whatever and he used to talk a lot about jazz and you know like I would like watch jazz videos here and there or whatever and I was like oh dude I want to be able to like solo and improvise like that so he hooked me up with his roommate who was this guy named his name was Kevin. His name was Kevin Osborne, but everybody called him Oz. And he he played everything, but his like primary instrument was saxophone. He I went over to his house and he just basically like he, he didn't give me a piano lesson per se, but he gave me like music lessons through the context of piano. So like he gave me the basics of like, you know, what a pentatonic scale was, what a blues scale was, what a whole tone scale was, what a a diatonic scale was blah 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 all that kind of stuff and you know just gave me the basics of like this is a major chord this is a minor chord this is a major seventh this is a minor seventh this is a, d- a diminished seventh this is you know that kind of stuff 
so that was kind of like my entryway of just like breaking music apart you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, and then when I went to high school I, I, I kind of had that, that background that I went to a performing arts high school which was weird because I was in, in I was zoned for that high school anyway it just happened to have a it happened to have a performing arts magnet program in it so I got in that and started taking voice lessons and then like when you take voice lessons in this context and you're like you know in choir in this context and you kind of learn like well this is not true for most choral programs most choral choral programs teach solfege but they taught numbers so there was kind of this weird cross-pollinization from me getting like a very basic intro, a very, very basic intro to jazz theory and being able to like understand like the national number system. Like that wasn't intentional. That was just kind of a thing that happened on accident. But all those things just kind of converged. You know what I mean? Like the fact that I even make music, like it, it, it is kind of just a weird accident. Like it, it, it wasn't because like my roommate is a 19 year old singer songwriter. She, she'll talk to me about like, you know, hearing Taylor Swift from the first time, she she was a, a she was born in Turkey, and she, you know, like some kind of way she got her hands on Taylor Swift records, and I guess you know you know Taylor Swift is famous all over the world, but in any instance, she was listening to Taylor Swift a lot, and Taylor Swift inspired her to write songs. My life is not like that. Like I kind of just fell into it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just it was just a a a. a and I guess really when you think about it, I mean, you're into philosophy and like you, you hear about you know, determinism. Mm-hmm. My entire relationship with music has just been a, a series of falling dominoes that were absolutely outside of my control. And then I just kind of developed, you know, a very, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a well-defined skill set, but it is a very specific skill set of being able to play instruments just well enough and sing just well enough and produce just well enough and record just well enough to where I can do everything a little bit. And I like doing everything just a little bit and enough to where I'm just like, cool, I'm just going to, I don't know, pull up logic and then make this thing real quick. I don't know, man. It's like, it's weird. Like I, I know I'm all over the place, but like, it's, it's, it's weird. Like when I, when I look back over my life, I guess it is kind of like linear on how I ended up at this point. But as I look back on it, I, I realize, oh, well, in order to explain that, I have to explain that, you know, it, it jumps around all over the place. So I can't even remember what the question that you asked was, but <laughs> I just asked, how did you start out like school, mm-hmm. bands, whatever? It, it was really like piano lessons was the main, like the only band I ever played in was me and my dad and my brother. We had like a, a cover band for a little bit. Like, like here, here's what you have to understand explaining this. So. And I'm not saying this to like be difficult or anything like that. I love my dad. I love my parents. But, you know, like we happened to be very economically secure, but like my dad was abusive and like he's, like, he's still alive, obviously, like he's not gone. But like he 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 was abusive and he had what he thought were unfulfilled musical ambitions. And I say he thought because I think that he liked the idea of being a musician I don't think that he actually wanted to be a musician. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I think that he liked the idea of it, but like the fact of the matter is if this is like a lifestyle that you want to commit to, your life is not going to look like most people's life. I think that he wanted a normal life. Like he like he's like he, he wanted to be like a musician and like sing, like dance and like play the bass and this kind of thing, but also have a normal life where he's like home by five o'clock. 
you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's just like not how it worked. And I think that there was there is a part of him that just like can't let that go. And what ended up happening was because he like he you know he his 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 entryway because like he grew up poor. My mom grew up poor, and basically they got out of their conditions by going to the military and going into athletics, which is what a lot of black folks did back then. And then they just you know they they, they got jobs and they became like regular people or whatever and then i think his impulse at first was to turn me into an athlete which did not work and then when he realized that i like gravitated towards music to make a long story short what ended up happening was he that became like the okay well i'm gonna push you in this direction thing it was weird because i liked it enough but i also like didn't necessarily pick it either and what ended up happening was and you know i like you know if if, if 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 abuse is something that triggers you you should maybe like pause this or something like that but what ended up happening was i was 12 and he put me in the hospital over cello lessons and i went away like me and my brother had to like go away into a foster program for about a year and he ended up going to jail for a little bit and then i got out or he got out and he came back and he had effectively lost his career so his rationale was well this is the perfect time to try to do music again and he we like started playing these old songs that he had written and that's how we got like logic and we got max and that stuff because we were gonna like try to record it ourselves or whatever which like we did but like i'm i'm like 14 i don't know shit about shit you know what i mean and it this like this was not a fun time in my life to be honest with you like it, it wasn't fun at all but i didn't really have any choice but I learned a little bit about logic in that, and I learned a little bit about like playing and singing at the same time, and you know, make a long, long, long story short, you know, I picked up a few covers here and there. So I was just like unknowingly developing, like I said, a very specific skill set when it comes to songwriting and production and performing. And then I ended up going to MTSU and like just kind of like bullshitting my way through a recording engineer program, not really learning anything in it, just kind of being in college because no alternative option was like presented to me. And then I was just like, well, I don't really know what to do. So I guess I'll do this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's, it's weird because like, don't, don't get me wrong. I love making music, but like, to be honest with you, I didn't really have any choice in the matter when it came down to it. But that's, that, that's not something you realize in the moment you only realize that looking backwards right you know what i mean the good thing slash bad thing bad thing is you were chosen it but it sounds like because you just do it you don't think too hard about it i don't yeah yeah see for people that are obsessed with it they're like i feel like this is my meaning i gotta you know yeah they're overthinking everything that's yeah i you 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 hit it on the head on that the, the way that I explain it, I, I think that, because not, not everybody is an artist per se, you know, some people just play, you know what I mean? But when you're an artist, you have to be emotionally invested, like totally emotionally invested in the creation part, while also totally emotionally detaching from the release and promotion part, which like, that sounds like it shouldn't make any sense, but that's like exactly like what you have to do and like some people are maybe better at that like like you have you have people like pitbull who like are all in on the marketing and promotion part but like let's be honest like the the, the music assumes the worst of the listener and it's not necessarily like it, it it's very much like 
we're, 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 we're trying to fulfill a formula here. Like this music is designed to be sold and I'm very good at selling, which don't get me wrong, that can work, but you know, that, that is its own journey. And then there's the other journey to where it's like, I'm pouring my heart and soul into this thing and I'm going to put it out into the world and I don't really know what to do with it. But then I'm upset when nothing happens. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I feel like most people vacillate towards extremes. Yeah. yeah. And then there's the person who fulfills himself and then puts it out and doesn't care. Yeah. If they hope it does well, but if it doesn't, they fulfill themselves first. Exactly. So that, but like that, like that's like for me, like uh, you, do you know Taylor Bogner? I'm not Taylor Bogner. Taylor Wofford, Bloodroot. She played at Bob Fest. I didn't see her. Okay. I didn't. I got there on Saturday. I got you. I don't know. Wait on Friday. Okay. Well, um, you should check out her music if you haven't heard it. Okay. And I think she, you know, she'd also be a good person to interview. But Taylor, it's funny because like, I, I, like when when I listen to local podcasts, I don't know if you've heard Devalued yet. Yeah, I've listened to a little bit of Caroline's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They had Gil and Tails Taylor. I don't know what Taylor's last name is, but the Booker at the East Room and he plays in Tails. Right. But and Gil Costello from the basement. They had them on, and Gil told a Taylor story. Everybody has a Taylor story because you know she plays in a great band and she works over at uh, Eastside Music Supply. But when I did a podcast, because I, I had one in the early part of the pandemic, I still had like all the episodes are still up, but I haven't made episode in forever. But um, she was like, the reward is in the writing. And I think that's like when you're an artist, that's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Like the reward is in the writing. You you have to fulfill yourself before you feel fulfill anything else, just like you said. But then comes the part where you have to have the courage to be able to promote without emotional investment in the promotion. And there and there there I mean there is something to be said to where it's like you just put it out and not care. But like, well, I mean, you do everything in your power to make it seen ready, like mm-hmm. available. And but at the end of the day, you have to realize you only have so much control. You know, you you don't you don't really have any you don't have any control to be honest with you. You you putting out is the control you have. Yeah, I mean, you you could choose not to put it. Out. There's you you could do that. There's there's the the effort part. Like you, you can't control what happens when you put the effort in. When you tell people, "Oh, I have this out," or you, you know, you make TikTok or you shoot some video or you run ads and these kinds of things. But like, like for example, like you do, a, you have a car detailing business. Mm-hmm. How do you find clients? Make myself known. Same thing with being a musician. Right. But the broader personality type of musicians, for some reason, is very uh, averse to advertising the fact that they're a musician because there's kind of like a there's this fictional narrative that says people will just find good music and as ridiculous as that sounds when I say it that is what most people believe right but you can't follow the crowd yeah right well it's it, it you, you can't follow the crowd but it's also like in a certain sense like you if you're if you're gonna be an artist you have to market to some degree but you, you, it's also taboo to say that you're doing it. You have to pretend like you're not doing it. Sure. Yeah. Like, you see what I'm saying? That's like what you call manipulation. I guess. Which a lot of marketing is. And Yeah. I mean, it's not always bad, though. This has manipulation all over it. 
says death to plastic. We donate 10% of profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Mm-hmm. That manipulates your heart for wanting to do good in the world and wanting to help the planet. Right. So you're more inclined to buy this rather than another sparkling water that tastes just like this but doesn't provide for the planet or whatever. Yeah, I mean, that I, I see what you're saying from a marketing perspective, and I, obviously I think that would work for a lot of people. But in terms of the music marketing thing, man, like, it, like it's musicians, really, it's just creative communities collectively. We all understand that no one can enjoy something if people don't know it exists, mm-hmm. but then there's an expectation to make yourself smaller at the same time and that's kind of just like i don't i don't necessarily know if that's intended to be manipulative it's just just kind of a people have a hard time balancing two sides of themselves because in one respect it's like you're incentivized to say that i'm just doing this because i like doing it and when you do that it's hard for people to say well i also would like to make a living doing it and in order for me to make a living i have to think about things that are not necessarily artistic that's totally fine. Yeah. I don't know, dude. Going back to what I was saying before, I, like, af- after I've made the thing, yeah, it has served its purpose with me. And that's kind of what Taylor was saying, the same thing with the rewards and the writing. It's like, after I've made it, well, it's it served its purpose with yeah. me. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not super emotionally invested in what happens to... Or it's like, like I want it to do well, but I don't care how people perceive it. Like, sure. after it's into the world, it is up to them to, to, to decide how they feel about it. And then I'll just go make something else. You see what I mean? But that's kind of the way that I think about it. When I'm in it, I'm trying to just scratch my own personal itch. And once I feel like that itch has been scratched, great. Off into the world you go. But I'll still do everything I can to draw people's attention to it once it's out there. I just don't care how they perceive it once it's out there. Right. You see what I mean? Right. I don't even know how I perceive my own work, to be honest with you. I, I just know that I was happy with how it sounded when it was done and that's all you gotta worry about I guess Mm. why are you drawn to music why am I drawn to music it was just always there man I mean like I would say that my my favorite thing about it I just I I really like good songs I just like really 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 like good songs I I feel like I developed this tendency because it was like after I graduated college I went home for a little bit and we were playing this cover gig at this pizza restaurant for like $200 a night or something like that. It was me, my dad, my brother on a drum machine. And like, I had to build the set list. And I don't remember at what point I figured this out, but I was like, I should play, we should play songs that people know, like really, really know. So I went to like, I'm talking like Brown Eyed Girl and like Boogie Shoes by Casey and the Sunshine Band. And like, we did Just Hold On, We're Going Home by Drake. And we did like Sitting Home, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay by Otis Redding. Ain't No Sunshine by Bill Withers. It was like these songs where you could go anywhere on the planet and people who don't even speak English would know. Because, like, you know, like, it it was not like we were, like, the world's greatest cover band, but it was just, like, people, people invest in songs before they invest in personalities. People invest in songs before they invest in performances. People invest in songs before they invest in musicianship. And I was like, that is fucking cool. I want to write catchy songs like that. That is my favorite part about it, is like trying to make something catchier than the last time. That's my favorite part of the whole thing. But outside of that, like I was saying, man, like 
my, my like so much of my relationship with music was like coerced. I did Pushed not. On to you. Yeah, I didn't have a choice. I, I just didn't have a choice. And then at that point, it's just it's just what you've done. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it, and it, and, it, and it wasn't like it was being done in the context to where like I had like parents in the industry. You know what I mean? It was right. You know what I mean? Yeah, so you know like at this point it's just like I'm 28 man like it, it, it is at this point you know I've had restaurant jobs and I've had sit down desk jobs with, with 401ks and insurance and I realize I don't really care for either of them and you know with the work like I don't I don't really see any point in investing in anything that I don't actually care about doing so I'm just like this is just what I'm going to do you know what I mean you care about music yeah it you know it it's, it's 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 the only thing that I feel like I enjoy enough to try really really hard at without also investing in the outcome. Like I used to work for Lyft's corporate headquarters, did not care about it. But you're in an environment to where you're incentivized to be very invested in these very abstract outcomes. And I guess what what companies like that are banking on is that you're invested enough in your own personal advancement in terms of like being a consumer that you're willing to do anything for a promotion. And I'm like, dude, this is fucking dumb. I'm not doing that. And that worked for about two years. And then it was obvious to both me and my supervisor that this wasn't going to work. And then I quit. Restaurants are kind of the same way, but there's less room to bullshit in restaurants just because everything moves so fast. I don't know. Like... None of us asked to be here, and we have to find a way to fill our time and pay our bills while we're here. Make the most of it. Yeah, and music just is kind of the only thing that I have that really checks all those boxes without me wanting to gouge my eyes out. Well, that's good. Man. At least in the in, in the broader scheme of things, anyway. Like when you're sitting in a recording, sometimes you definitely want to gouge your eyes out. Right, but that's part of the sacrifice. Yeah. It, it yeah I mean it's 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 part of the process like you know it's just like going on a run or something like that man you gotta once it starts getting hard that's when you're learning yeah man but well, yeah I think you gave reason enough mm-hmm. how do you develop your musical skills dude like I just kind of do like I sit down when it's time to sit down and record I sit down and record when it's time to get with the band and and rehearse. It's time to sit down with the band and rehearse. Uh, and that's kind of it. Like, you know, it's probably not, you know, the, the <laughs> I don't like I don't practice guitar a lot. I don't practice bass a lot. I sing when I have to sing. You know, when, when it's time to do the thing, it's just time to do the thing. But like, if I'm not actively getting ready for a show or actively making something, I'm, I'm chilling out. You know what I mean? I'm just, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I want to enjoy my time while I'm here. And like, I, I'm, I'm not the kind of person to where like, I always have to be doing something. I like to sit down and vibe out and just chill out. But inevitably you get bored and then I'll go and I'll do like a thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like, I'm like, I'm, like I said, I'm 28. I didn't start playing guitar until I was 20 years old. And like I said, I never really became a pianist. I learned some very introductory stuff to piano, and then I learned music. And when you learn music, it's like it's like you and I are having a conversation. It's like a vocabulary, like in terms of rhythm, in terms of harmony, in terms of melody, you know, in terms of chord progressions. Like, if you could go back and replay this conversation, 
in your speech and in my speech, you'd probably recognize that a lot of the time we're saying the same kinds of things over and over again. We're phrasing things the same way over and over again. When you understand the broader vocabulary of music, you just get how it works. Mm-hmm. And not even necessarily in like a university music theory perspective, but like if you like were to dissect popular music, there's only a handful of chord progressions people use. Right. And you could even like... There's only a handful of beats. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's how music works. Like, it, 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 it ultimately is a recycling. You say the same thing, but you say it in your way, and that's what makes it different. Exactly. And I, at, at this point, like, at this point in my life, I'm just kind of at the age to where I feel like that's just kind of like the thing. Like, you, you don't remember learning to speak. No. That's kind of how I am with music. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, of all time, current, now, what, what are some of your favorite bands and artists? Damn, dude. This is no particular order. But the Strokes, big one. Um, Alabama Shakes, big one. Mac DeMarco, big one. Curtis Mayfield, big one. Who else is in there? Marvin Gaye is a big one. Sam Cooke is a big one. In, in the grand scheme of the, there's, there's a lot of them, man. But like as far as Love Montage is concerned, Strokes, Alabama Shakes, and Mac DeMarco are the three biggest influences. And obviously like I, I mean i was a little older when i came into their music and obviously like alabama shakes was making records but they, they made two records but they made those records like at like prime musical consumption age so i was kind of like they, they weren't like classic to me like the strokes have been around for a long time before i like seriously got into their work and i guess i'm with mac demarco it's the same way like that those that's an artist that i kind of like watched make a career you know what i mean I used to listen to the Black Keys a lot. Like, I got pretty good knowledge of the Black Keys discography, but it, I, I just I don't find myself listening to their work a whole lot more. Like, I don't know if you've listened to their, much of their work. I mean, I have. Attack and Release, Brothers, Bel Camino. That's a hell of a three album run right there. And Brothers, I think, is the best one out of it. Like, Attack and Release is a is a is is, is a close second, an arguable second. And then El Camino is good, just not as good as the other two. And then before that, there's Rubber Factory and Thick Freakness, which are also very good. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Rubber Factory is their second. So the first one was the big come up, then they did Rubber Factory, and then they did Thick Freakness, which is also a pretty good three-album run. And that's their debut, their sophomore, and then their third, if I'm not mistaken. And then they made Magic Potion. And then Chulahoma either came before or after Magic Potion, but Chulahoma is just covers. And then they did Attack and Release, and like Attack and Release and, and Brothers, like that, that 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 work is pretty serious. So I guess I don't know. I I'm gonna throw the Black Keys in there too, and I'm gonna do that because I love those two records, and I love El Camino, and I love Rubber Factory, and I love Thick Freakness, but also Dan Arabic's solo work and like his side projects are really really good because he he released a. He's the he's the vocalist and the guitarist and like the primary songwriter. And the other part is Patrick Carney, who's the drummer and like primary producer. But Dan Auerbach released a solo album after Brothers came out called Keep It Hid, which is like it's like it's 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 like a bluesy it's it's like a rootsy album, but it's like it's like it's edgy for roots music. And it's not like it's not like it's like southern gothic. It's like really rootsy guitar rock with like kind of like this. It just has this like garage rock hip hop edge to it. That record's really good. And then he did the Arcs, which had like one album and then like two EPs. 
which are also really good. I don't know if you've listened to that stuff. The Arcs? Yeah. That, is that a band? It's his... It is. It's Damn. a side problem. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a side. I think project. I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. They. I mean, it, the, the shit was good. The, the songs are like impeccable. That also had a really big influence on, like, more so than the Black Keys stuff. Because the, the the Black Keys stuff is still very very bluesy. It's not like Marcus King or like you know like Chris Stone Ingram like bluesy, but like or Joe Bonamassa bluesy, but it's like North Mississippi kind of all bluesy stuff it's like it's still cool it's just like my music just isn't that bluesy you know what i mean mm-hmm. alabama shakes i think they really like kind of split the difference between like the the the, the rootsy americana side and the indie rock side in a way that's hard to do and you don't see that often especially on the second album because the second album isn't really that rootsy the first one is but the songs are also just they're really really pop friendly the second album Songs are, are, are catchy and they're accessible, but the, the songwriting is a little bit more adventurous and the production is way more adventurous. Like, it's hard, to, like, it has rootsy moments, but you wouldn't listen to it and call it rootsy. You know what I mean? Obviously, Mac DeMarco is not rootsy at all. It's kind of like, have you listened to Mac DeMarco at all? Yeah. Yeah. There are tons. Okay. I don't that, that one, Nowadays. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's weird because I, I don't know. It, it, at first, like, I didn't get it. And just like I was telling you about that one Eminem thing on Noisy, there was a, a, a Noisy article where this dude listened to every Mac DeMarco song in order. And at this point, there's Rock and Roll Nightclub, there's two, and there's Salad Days, and nothing else is out. So this is like the Salad Days album cycle, which is like his peak popularity, at least. Like, like, he, like at this point, he's like a legacy artist, you know what I mean? He's, yeah. yeah. He's got like. He's already built his name out. Like, he's not still being discovered, really. Yeah. Like, this is like peak Mac DeMarco like Salad Days is out and this dude's writing it and I was listening to it and at that point I was kind of just like this makes me want to go to sleep and then I don't know what happened but I was like I was at MTSU and there was a snowstorm so class was like canceled for a couple of days and I was sitting in my room and I put on Rock and Roll Nightclub and I don't know what happened but like I thought that that album was just so cool and then I like got it and then that just like contextualized all of his other music for me which is weird because like rock and roll nightclub is like the most adventurous one yeah and then two is like the songs are really really good but obviously the production isn't that you know like like he didn't pitch the whole record down on a tape machine and then the next one salad days the songs are really really good there's not good like two like two is like the perfect Mac DeMarco album rock and roll nightclub might be the best one arguably but two is like the perfect one it's like if you want to encapsulate like what or who Mac DeMarco is and like what it meant for the next generation of like indie self-recorded home musicians because like like low key he was like too successful in his influence it was just like <laughs> dude yeah he was a force yeah like it, yeah and it but I mean like the five panel hat was everywhere yeah <laughs> he it even even captured tracks couldn't have imagined like what he did for like indie culture and and indie music like there's just a whole generation of musicians like just copying that to some degree and i to be honest with you other than kanye west and taylor swift i can't think of anybody else in music in the past 20 years that has had that much of an influence on the following generation of musicians maybe radiohead maybe but but no one can really talk like yeah maybe muse is in my opinion, kind of knockoff for you. Yep. <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like I'm inclined to say that's the closest thing that there is, because I, I I just can't think of anything else that like like Radiohead is like its own thing to the point where it's like you can't point to anyone who is like 15 to 20 years younger who's like doing because like even the, the Muse guys are older at this point. They're in their 40s. 
right? The guys from Muse, like Matt oh, Bellamy, yeah. you know what I mean? Because yeah, yeah. like, I mean, they're 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 closer to contemporaries, right? Muse and and Radiohead, like maybe there's a they're little bit in their fifties. So check this out. Okay, so you know who Lil Uzi Vert is? I've heard he's he's a rapper who you know he's like really popular and like his first record I can't remember what it was called anymore. He said that his biggest influence was Kanye West's 808s and Heartbreaks. Oh, yeah. Well, that, like, birthed, like, uh, Drake. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I forgot which album birthed, basically, um, Kid Cudi. It's probably 808s yeah, and Heartbreaks. Uh, yeah, Kid, because all these other rappers were taking, like, one of his albums and then kind of taking it in that, their own direction. <laughs> that record made melodies okay in hip-hop, and to the point to where... You know, like Drake and Kendrick Lamar and J. Cole, like one of the defining characteristics of their work is they sing. J. Cole, like, tries to not sing as much as he can, but like he sings. And obviously, in a lot of forms of trap music, where there's like Lil Uzi Bird or Young Thug or like Future, Chief Keep sometimes singing in auto tune. That is literally like 808s and Heartbreaks, even though people were like, were kind of like, Kanye, what the fuck are you doing when it came out? Generate like it, it influenced the next generation of people who make rap and hip hop music in in a way that you can't imagine. With Taylor Swift, I don't know if you've ever seen like uh, Every Noise at Once, which is a website. Oh yeah, dude, or EveryNoise.com. Yeah. yeah, so I love that website. There's a whole subgenre. There there are two subgenres called Alt Z and Gen Z songwriter. And when you go and listen to that shit. Taylor Swift, like, and some of it might be like edgier in the content, the the subject matter, but she, as a singer songwriter, has had immense influence on the next generation of songwriters who are like seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, probably up to about being twenty three. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mac DeMarco is the only person that I can think of that has also had that kind of influence to where people are trying, they're they're doing their exact same version of the same thing. Because like Radiohead is a lot of different things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, they went through the kind of Aphex Twin obsession. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I, like, randomly, a couple months ago, after watching the Woodstock 99 documentary, mm-hmm. I started listening to some corn and, like, studying corn, watching all the interviews, just watching different documentaries. And then, like, in 2005, they had their kind of change in sound where it was kind of like low tempo or whatever down tempo and it was like more electronic and then i realized after hearing that i was like now i know where fucking imagine dragons and all this other bullshit came out of because they birthed off of like i forgot what the song is called like corn but like after hearing that song i was like a wall nation and all this shit mm-hmm. burned off this that makes a lot of sense sale that song copied this corn song basically to a t and then I was like, now I understand where all that other bullshit came from. That so I don't like that is not a, a part of like the music world that I'm like super attuned to, but it does make sense because like stuff that sounds like Imagine Dragons was a whole wave. And oh, yeah, God, so God. It, just like the whole dubstep wave. Yeah. So which, which was our like high school, which I like cringe now looking back at it. Like you know some I like. Okay, long story short, I'll detail this guy's car, hmm. and he's, like, our age, and um, he, like, he was like, here, man, I'll leave the car on so you can listen to music or whatever, and so he just plays music, I don't know why, I, just, I was like, okay, like, he just left the battery on, 
And it was all dubstep music. And it was like, I was like, man, I haven't listened to this in like 10 or 12 years. And he's like, yeah, it's my favorite music. And I was like, man, then I realized he's like us. But he's stuck in yeah. that time period. Yeah. Like a lot of people do. What they listen to in high school is basically... Yeah, they listen to forever. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when I was like, wow, man, this person is stuck in the dubstep realm. Like, mm-hmm. I haven't listened to this shit in a while. The, the way I remember it is it came and went. Yeah, like, dude, dude, it came when, like, by 2013, I think it was over. When, so in that moment would be when, so Taylor Swift dropped Red, I think in, it was in 2012 or 2013, and it has... I think it peaked I, in 12. I, okay, so, well, I, Taylor Swift's I Knew You Were Trouble. Yeah. It had, like, it, it, have you heard that song? No. It, oh, it has a dubstep drop, a dubstep drop in it. Yeah. And that was, I think it was a big enough of a, you know, an EDM phenomenon to where they used production elements for that song in particular on that Taylor Swift album. And then that was probably the moment where I think it was over. But but even with with, with, with Dubstep, other than Skrillex, who are the other like flag bearers of that, that sound? Do you know what I mean? Spectre. Okay. My EDM Pretty lights is not your Well he wasn't really dubstep. Yeah. Uh-huh. He was just EDM electronic. But yeah, bass nectar probably. Okay. And then I don't know who else I, I am woefully undereducated on electronic music because it like it it's just it's like metal to where it's like the subgenres are like infinite you know what I mean? right right electronic music and some of it can just be like just like some forms of metal where you just want to go take a shower after you listen to it because you're like oh you think so some of it can be so nasty like like it, electronic like where it's just I don't know so overproduced so mm-hmm. and then it's just like. The drops are so, and like you just—it just seems so repetitive or like very predictable mm-hmm. and very cliche. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, yeah. so, in terms of genre, like, what what is a genre but a collection of cliches, though? Sure, but <laughs> the way that it's done makes it original. That's fair. Okay. You could wear the same shirt as you're wearing now. I could wear that same shirt. But the, the fact that you have it not buttoned up makes it your own. That's the spare. I could wear that, maybe buttoned up, maybe not, but it would be different. Yeah. No, you got a point. All right, awesome. How would you best describe the type of musician you are? Just a DIY pop artist. Okay. It's DIY pop. I, sometimes I call it budget pop because okay. the way that I explain, like, so in one respect, like I was saying, like genres are really just a collection of cliches. Which is, I, I still think it's true, but it's also cliche plus ideology. Like, mm-hmm. you know, with like various punk movements, there tends to be a belief system associated with them. With anarchy. Yeah, like there, there, there are a lot of different punk flavors, man. Right. But, but even like, like if we were to take country music for example, right, and you were to unpack country music in terms of subgenre, you know, there's outlaw country, and Western. then there's like western, and there's like. Bro, country and there's all this kind of stuff they all have their even if they're implicit they have belief systems that are wrapped into not only the way that the songs are written but also in the way that the musicians can like present them exactly yeah so i don't like i don't mix and master my own stuff but i do record all of it and i, I cannot play the drums so, so either i use sample drums or i'll just you know hire somebody to come and play drums on the track and then i'll just overdub on top of the drum parts or whatever but recording everything myself and keeping my production costs down are very central to the idea of what love montage is and how it works and it developed out of necessity but 
I also just happen to believe that the next era of music making is it, it, it is the realm of the I wear many hats and do like 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 the doesn't necessarily have to be psychedelic like Kevin Parker, but that method of music making I feel like is going to be more and more of what dominates what we listen to simply because the income streams are getting smaller and smaller while the amount of music that is available for consumption gets bigger so you have to figure out a way to cut your costs if you're ever going to make it viable for yourself mm-hmm. and the easy way to do that is to do more things on your own you know what I mean like I never planned for this to be a thing but like the love montage is in one respect like it's a collection of songs but it's also becoming like kind of like a visual arts project like there's not a whole lot of video yet but there is a little bit of video yeah i try, I try to do a visual and a themed photo shoot for every song that i release it's kind of like if you like 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 for an album cycle what it used to be is like the, the artist like subtly rebrands a little bit for everyone i kind of do that for every single <laughs> you know what i mean mm-hmm. but that was something that developed over time though it wasn't something that i set out to do that was just something i learned but the the do-it-yourself mindset I'm really, really into. Like, I love Guided by Voices and the Flaming Lips. I, 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 some some of that stuff, I wonder how DIY it was, especially later, but still the spirit is there. You know what I mean? Coyne and Steven. Yeah. Wayne, sorry, Wayne. Wayne and Steven. Uh-huh. Have you seen them? Like seven times. Oh, dude, I, gotta, yeah, I, want, I want to go see them. I've seen them so many times. First time I saw them was in 2008 at uh, City Stages Music Festival in Alabama. Mm-hmm. They were playing with like Michael Franti and Spearhead and all these other groups. It was a great time. Yeah. Like, Teletubbies on stage. Wayne rolls out in a hamster ball. Yeah. And like the beginning of certain songs, these confetti cannons blow out, and like they push all these, like, they throw all these like blow up balls in the crowd and when you hit one it will explode and then like glow sticks fly out wow dude yeah it's rated num- like one of the number one shows to see before you die I heard I really want to see the flaming lips like I even though I've named like the strokes and back to Mark like I've seen back to Marco once but it was acoustic tour I haven't seen the strokes yet but like I've it, seen the strokes they're pretty good yeah when did you see them Shake Penny's Music Festival in 2015 in Atlanta okay Okay. Mac DeMarco was also there. Tame and Paul was also there. Oh man. It was like Interpol, Tame and Paul. I saw Panda Bear, TV on the radio, mm-hmm. the Pixies, mm-hmm. Wilco, okay. Neutral Milk Hotel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, dude. It was a pretty good lineup. Yeah, it was. It was awesome. It was a great lineup. All right, cool. Where do you find inspiration? I don't know, man. I've been finding it more from, like, movies and, like, television lately. Like, I don't know. Like, it... What, what movies and... I'm so... Shows. It's coming on today. Like, after after I leave here, I'm going to go exercise, and then I'm going to clean up my room, and then I'm going to watch Better Call Saul. I love Better Call Saul so much. Okay. Um, are you into that? I'm basically about to do the same thing you are. Yeah. Go work out. I've already cleaned my room. Yeah, but then I'm probably gonna watch. I've watched Breaking Bad. I haven't watched Better Call Saul. Oh, you haven't seen any of Better Call Saul? No. Oh, damn, dude. But I don't know, man. Like when I when I started writing love montage songs, 
I was mainly like writing them about and for my girlfriend at the time. And it's weird because like right now I'm like, I have a lot of songs from that time in my life, which was like five, six years ago that just aren't out yet. And, but I also like make new stuff. So like right now, eh, it's about equal parts. Cause I only have seven songs out right now. And there's another one coming out very, very soon. And like, I, I got, I got three more on the calendar that I will be done recording with by the end of the year. I don't know if they'll all be out. Two of them will probably be out before the year's out, but they're all newer songs. None of them are from like the, the first batch of love montage songs. Like I still got those, but none of them are like only a handful of them around. But at that point I was writing them like either about her or like for her, even if only adjacently. But I don't know. Like I, like I love James Dean. Like I love like Sigourney Weaver is like Ellen Ripley. I, I love just the, 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 all the alien. Yeah. That's great. I, like I love, I, I, I love Ridley Scott. Yeah. Prometheus, Alien Covenant, Alien. So awesome. He was supposed to get a third one, but I don't know if he's going to get it. A third prequel movie. Because I, I love, like, I don't know, do you like Covenant or do you like Prometheus better? I would say Covenant probably scared me. Yeah. Jump scares. Oh, shit. Covenant's a little bit better than, than yeah. Prometheus, but I like them both. But I don't know. I, um, it's hard for me to explain the way that, like, these things work in my because I'm not necessarily like a super like emotional songwriter you know what I mean like I what I write it means like like it might have like implicit meaning to me but I try to keep it vague enough to where people just want it to mean whatever they want it to mean and then I just try to build like kind of like a soundscape around it that like is snappy but also kind of dreamy at the same time and I don't know like I, I guess when I'm like recording I'm just thinking about like imaginary places a lot of the time and imaginary people in imaginary places you know beaches and like I don't know really shitty dive bars at beaches in space (laughs) I don't know like I spent a lot of time alone as a kid man like I was saying I had those encyclopedias and shit so like I have a really vast imagination that's awesome yeah it doesn't always make like since if I'm dictating it to somebody, mm-hmm. but I guess what kind of makes that cool is it doesn't really box me into stuff either. You know what I mean? Right. You kind of are self-influenced more than what other person could ever put on you. Yeah. 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 Kind of. I, I mean, you said that kind of better than I can say it. Cause it's like, when you're asking me that question, it's like, I actually don't know. I just like, I had this demo that I made, I don't know when I was still working for Lyft and this demo ended up turning into being like my most recent single is called sad boy sex life but when i made the demo i was like i I never really thought about putting like vocoder in it and there's kind of like a it's like a mild like rap section in it or whatever and i don't i just like i guess i was listening to the weekend a little bit and like the weekend had like you know daft punk on it so there was that and then kanye west just uses a lot of vocals like like kind of one of the like post because I keep talking about these three album runs, late registration, college dropout, or college college dropout, late late registration, and graduation is like his probably his best three album run. Because then you get 808s, and then you get My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, and then you just get Easy. Yeah, you get you. 
Jesus was before My Beautiful Dark Fantasy, or no, it was, no, it was after. Okay, that was 2010 when My Beautiful Dark Fantasy. 2013 is when Jesus came out. Okay, well, okay, so I saw him in 2014. Okay, So he only, in my opinion, he only has one three album run. But with that being said, with Jesus and with My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, and then a lot of the stuff that's come after Jesus. The trademark of Kanye West is the use of vocals, mm-hmm. like black like samples. Like. Yeah, but he's like, like, like he's sampling himself a lot of the time. Like, I mean, well, he, there, there are samples. Like, let's use Jesus for example. Like women's voices and stuff. A lot of the time, it is women. Like, yeah. blood on blood on the leaves has the Nina Simone sample on it. Yeah. But like a song like Black Skinhead, other than the drums, all of the instrumentation is vocals. Like. Um, but even in addition to the drums the the verse percussion is it's breathing and it's beatboxing like all of it is human vocals other than like the mainly the drum fill right like that's the only part of it that is not and which that that's not something that you hear that often in any music but like the trademark of of like kanye west up like past a certain point is there aren't really a whole lot of instruments beyond drums. There's there's vocal samples, and I don't like I don't take it to that far. Now like, that I look at that or look back. You're right. They're like, vocal like skinhead. Yeah, very much that. Yeah, he does the little, like. The, yeah, it's like and it's weird because it's like in terms of him, sees Kanye West is not the world's greatest rapper, but the the, the, the production. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. God, the product. He's one of the world's greatest producers. Yeah. Like, that is, like, really, really incredible. That's kind of like what I would say about the Flaming Lips. Wayne Coyne is not the best singer. Oh, no. In fact, his voice can be kind of a little annoying or weird, just like Bob Dylan. Mm. But it's the arrangements and the imaginary landscape he puts you in. Like, in, in the same way that I, I can I can draw, like, kinship with Wayne Coyne, because it's like, you shoot me about battles the uh, pink robots, robots and that kind of thing. It's just, like, this really whimsical world but it's like i don't know it's like you can see it you know what i mean yeah we're at war with the mystics yeah what's like the really early she don't use jelly oh yeah which is like it's these weird people and it's like (laughs) you know what i mean like yeah it's like she don't use butter she like but it's like you can just imagine like if you met that person in real life you know what i mean but it's kind of just like it's not like this really really deep and intricate like internal look songwriting kind of stuff it's just kind of just like it's just wacky but not in a way that's cringy either yeah and not in a way that you don't take it seriously either yeah so how long have you been in Nashville now four years but I was in Murfreesboro before that so I've been around for a minute okay cool and what brought you here initially was in TSU in TSU yeah and then obviously you wanted to play music after that yeah okay what would you say you've learned living here Oh, damn, that's a hard question. I don't know. I um, I think that I've really learned to just kind of enjoy the ride and not take the details so seriously. It's probably the biggest thing. I feel like I've learned what it really means to be a part of a community because there's just I don't know there's just so many people making different things and just really dedicating their lives to those different things. Cause I, like that wasn't like I don't know what your relationship with music as a young person was like, but I, like I didn't grow up around like a musical scene. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, that was something that, like, I just grew into by releasing music. So I, I feel like I learned a lot about community in that time. 
and really just like what it means to like be an artist and really just dedicate your life to a creative lifestyle because like you know my, like, there's nothing wrong with like you know just getting a, a traditional job and I think it's oftentimes it's the, the rational and logical thing to do but I didn't know that there were other ways to live other than like clocking in at nine and then going home at five and then going to sleep and then doing the same thing the next day and then getting two days off because that's just that's the life that my parents live and for a long time I was like trying to figure out from from the time that I that I that I graduated college until about until until this time last year so that is from 2017 to about 2021 I was trying to like play both sides and like live a normal life but also you know be a musician and then I realized no I'm just going to do it and I feel like that is really the the, the most important lesson that I learned is that if this is something that you want to do that your life is going to look differently than most people and that becomes less lonely when you're around other people who are doing the same thing because like when I worked at Lyft I was around a bunch of like musicians who were like oh yeah man like you know I'm doing this and but then they're like also like vying for a promotion at the same time and it's like one of those things you're going to like one of those things is going to take precedent over your interests. And eventually that just became obvious to me. I was just like, oh, I see. And now it's weird. I don't, I don't miss, I don't miss it. Cause like when I had like the security, like having like the secure, like, cause I, like, you know what I mean? I like, I, I worked from home for, for, for most of the pandemic and that was nice. And I think it was necessary at the time because that's when I seriously started putting music out. And I think I needed like the safety to be able to get started in the journey in that respect. But now that I'm at it, at it, and I look back on it, I can't imagine ever going back to it, because I was like, when I was done with work, I was just wasting my time trying to forget about work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like sometimes in restaurants, you want to do that, but like they just don't require as much mental, mental investment as like a. You don't nine take your home, your work home with you. Yeah, like like anything that goes wrong is wrong in that moment. It's not like this broader. This is a manipulation game with like you and a supervisor because your 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 supervisor's advancement either in that company or in a broader career field is hinged upon your advancement because when you get promoted they look good because they take credit for your promotion so you become a problematic employee when they realize that you're just there for the check while you go and do your thing you know what I mean. But that's exactly what I was just like, yeah, I just, I want the money to go and record this stuff. That's what I want. You know what I mean? But supervisors in that environment, they assume that everybody that gets a job like that is there because they want to climb the corporate ladder when most people are there because they want access to a doctor. That's why most people are there. It's a guaranteed healthcare policy. Well, at least historically it has been. That might also be going away from more and more companies. But yeah, man, I don't know. Community and I feel like I, I, I've just really gained an appreciation for the fact that there are ways to live outside of just, you know, punching a clock every day. Right. That kind of thing. You can give yourself meaning. Yeah. Cool. What is some advice you would give to someone who's going to move here and pursue art? <laughs> Let me see. That's a good question. I would say I work in a restaurant and not necessarily because you're passionate about working in restaurants, but I feel like the service industry is a good way to kind of get introduced to the city, like from like an actual like emotional standpoint, like for you to actually feel like you're kind of a part of this. Cause it's like, if you come here 
and I don't blame anybody for getting like a a safe and secure job, but when you get a job like that and try to you know, get out and meet people and quote unquote network or build relationships, wherever you want to call it. You're, you're isolated from everything. You know what I mean? Um, because typically if you're, if you're coming here with creative ambitions, the people that are actually living, they don't live in like this, 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 this insulated world to where you clock in at nine, you listen to some bullshit meetings and then you go out to drink and be served. You see what I'm saying? If you want to, really build relationships with creative people and actually feel like you're contributing to the community, I would say, work in a restaurant. That's where a lot of the strongest relationships that I have came from. You know what I mean? And, you know, you work in enough of them for long enough and you start to see the same people all over the place. Like, that was really, like... Cause when, I, when, I, when I moved from Murfreesboro to Nashville, I had, like, a... Um, I had a, a $10 an hour work-from-home call center job and I was making no money. And then I got fired from that job. And then I went to go work at Bar Taco. And that was really my introduction to this city, was working there. And I'm not saying, like, I'm not saying, like, because Bar Taco is very different now, obviously. But, like, that introduced me to 12 South, which introduced me to Burger Up. And I don't know if you've ever, you've ever heard of Fly, Fly Golden Eagle? Yeah. So, I've seen them. Half of that band, they don't work there anymore, but they worked at Burger Up down, down 12 South. Freeze works there now. The Linux Hills guys work down there now. Like, like at Burger Up. Up. Which one? The 12 South one, because the East oh. Nashville one got knocked out. The oh, tornado. Yeah, which, and then there's, there's still one at Cool Springs, but that's also like kind of a different thing. But a couple of the, a couple of them work at Burger Up. Mm. Like it, like that. That's really where like the folks are, man. It's that they're you know the, the the overlap between you know the service industry and the music industry. Like that. That's really where you need to be. And I'll, I'll also, yeah. Coffee shops, restaurants, and bars. Yeah, but it'll also just be it'll be better, I think, for your creative spirit to to work in that environment because you you know don't get me wrong, it can it it, it can get toxic, but you you, you, you yeah you 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 just feel more like you get numb to reality working in like a secure position. I feel like, and I, I feel like that like like that mindset can get real toxic real quick. That I have to suffer for my art. So I, 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 I think that people should be careful with that. But at the same time, it's really hard to invest in something if you don't have something to push up against. Right. I felt like I was wasting away when I had a sit-down job. And I didn't I didn't realize it until, like, some music stuff was starting to happen a little bit. And that's when, like, my eyes really, really got opened. But before that, I, I didn't realize just how, like, not invested I was. And when you're not emotionally invested in anything and you're just trying to pay bills month after month after month, well, your life is slowly ending. Yeah, it is. You're you're existing. You're not living. Yeah. But work in a restaurant and go to a lot of shows. Okay. That, those would be my big ones. Work in a restaurant, go to a lot of shows, and try to live as cheap as you can. That's the other thing that I like. Be frugal. Yeah, be, but it's like, like there, there's some, there's some artists who are just like, they, they're just predisposed to it towards like making stuff is all that they need. But like I said, a lot of us are trying to exist in both worlds at the same time. You know what I mean? And when you're trying to exist in both worlds at the same time, then the time that you spend and the money that you spend not focusing on making things stops you from making things. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I don't know. It's like it, I feel like that's what I would say if you're just moving here, work in a restaurant, go to shows, be frugal. Like you said, you, you put it more concisely than I put it. But 
I feel like you'll start to lean into all of those things when you get to a point where you just feel like fulfilled with what you're doing. Yeah. I had to stumble around a little bit before I got to a point where I was like, cool, like this is the thing. And then all of a sudden, all the other shit starts to matter a whole lot less. And you just become a little bit more focused. But I know it sounds weird, but that first one is, is, is big because just like so many people are moving here for non-creative like non purposes. They just think it's the cool place to live or they're coming from a place that's so expensive that they think it's cheap and it's making everything expensive for the rest of us. Like you and I didn't grow up here, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like I, I want to be like sensitive to that part. But with so many people moving here, when you're moving here as an artist, sometimes I think it can maybe feel a little isolating even though there's so many people that are actually making really, really cool stuff that live here. But you just like, like the place that I work at now opened in February and like everybody that works there like got here like in the past six months but no, but but none of them are like creative types you see what I'm, you see what i'm saying yeah which which is which is a little disorienting you know what i mean like when you if you go and you work at a place that's been here for a while well you, you find a lot of creative play but some of these new places with like corporate backing and then they'll open up and they'll sink your they'll sink their teeth into people who are also just moving here and they know that they're isolated and they know that they have no like social base and then that place becomes their city. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's true. Like, how long have you been here? Almost five years. Okay. Like, imagine hearing somebody saying, yeah, I heard about this really cool place called Moss Tacos. Like, I hear stuff like that all the time. Like, I mean... Because you're like, oh, that means they've not been here. Right. It's like, 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 Moss Tacos is great. Like, I'm not saying... But it's just like, oh my God, this is like, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, they've been there like longer than the restaurant that you work in. They think everything's new. Yeah, and and to be fair, it is, it to, is them. to them. Yeah. But but it's also like when you're when you're looking at it from like a like I just moved here just to move here kind of thing, you run the risk of everything just being kind of like disposable, especially at the rate that new stuff is coming up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you know, remember Sheps used to be the yeah. Now it's a pizza place. In me square. But I guess that's a, a chain pizza place. Apparently, they're all over the country. I didn't know oh, that. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, no, somebody was sure. telling me that the other day. I don't eat a lot of pizza, but, like, like five points is right there, man. And apparently, so is, uh, the the square... Italia. Okay, I haven't it's been there yet. Place. Yeah, man, like, w- w- at the rate that new things are going up and at the rate that, like, a lot of property developers are really trying to just cater towards just, like, you know, the... And there's nothing wrong with being, you know, the, 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 the wife and kid do. There's nothing wrong with that. But when everything is tailored to them... It makes everything feel disposable and it creates this environment where it's like, oh, well, you know, like just like they didn't renew the lease on the um, they didn't renew it for Crying Wolf, but they also didn't renew the lease for um, Bolton's. Oh, you see what I'm saying? Wow. Both of those places are going. Yeah, they, they might relocate. Cause Franz did the same thing, like Franz. Right. I kind of like where it is now. It's fine. I kind of like the new. I like. Yeah. It's got pizza there too. Yeah. So it's, it's like the new location. I think that was that was an upgrade. Yeah. It's much bigger. But I the, miss it being where it was. Because it it was real close to you. Super close. Yeah. To me. Yeah. Oh yeah. But it it could have gone the other way and it could have not come back. Right. I don't know. Those are my three things though, dude. Okay. Cool. What is your biggest personal growth from last year to this year? Damn, that's a good question. To be honest with you, I think that I'm just more secure in my like from a from a personal standpoint. I'm just a lot more secure in myself, and I feel like I I just I don't feel the need to be validated as much. 
I think I can just kind of sit with my process and not feel the need to be doing something all the time and, you know, proving that I am, in fact, doing something. Right. I just sit there and incubate, and when it's done, it's done. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're not letting anyone wait on you, or you're not waiting on anyone. Yeah. Like, you're kind of like, I'm doing it on my own. When, um, so in 2021, I, I put out a, a song that got on a Spotify playlist, and it was like the coolest thing in the world. And then it happened again. And then after that, I was just like, okay, well, this is just kind of the thing. And now I know that it's possible. But at that point, I didn't really feel... I'd proven enough to myself to really no longer care about proving anything to anybody else at that point. Because just be honest, when you're starting out, I think most people... That's everything almost. Yeah. And then once you get like a little taste of it, you realize that things just go back to normal. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So that... Yeah, dude, because this time last year, I hadn't even quit Lyft yet. That was the first time I had even played live since the pandemic. And at that point, I wasn't even doing full band shows yet again. again yeah, like I was doing them in 2019, and then the pandemic happened in, in March of 2020. Like I think the last show that I remember playing before the pandemic was in September of 2019, September or October. But really, like, I don't know, like... I, I had been, like, making small steps towards this for a while, but nothing really got going until around this time last year is when it became, like, real to me. And then it was real enough for long enough to be like, okay, cool. You know, I've gotten enough of a taste of it to be like, cool, let me just focus on what I'm doing and not really worry about what other people are thinking. Okay, cool. What are some of your favorite YouTube videos? Oh, man, I don't know. I was... What type of YouTube videos? I listen to a lot of creepy pastas. Creepy pastas. Yeah, they're scary. They're they're internet scary stories. So creepy pastas originally were they they were like Reddit forums where people would write scary stories and they would go viral. They they they'd either go viral or they would be quote unquote validated by other people. Like one of the earliest creepy pastas was this thing called Squidward Suicide, which asserted that there was a secret unreleased Spongebob episode with Squidward shooting himself in it. And there were people that claimed to have seen this tape and claimed the val- like the validity of this tape. They're, they're, they're not, they're not real obviously, but like in like 2012 Reddit, people was like, I don't know, is this real? And you know, people would whisper at, whisper about it here and there, you know what I mean? But they're just fictional stories. But, it became enough of a thing where people started writing their own and it just became its own subculture and now people narrate them. So I listen to those every so I don't really listen to those till the fall though. But there that's I spend a lot of time on YouTube watching those. I watch a lot of Dave Ramsey. I watch a lot of political content. So Sam Cedar, the majority report. I don't know if you know breaking points with Crystal and Sager. I know Dave Ramsey, I've read Total Money Maker. Everybody knows Dave Ramsey, man. I know a lot of people that work for him. Yeah, and a lot of people know because yeah, he's, he's right there in Franklin. His, I mean, like he, like I think our politics are obviously different, but a lot of his practical information is great. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, with that. Yeah, have credit cards. I do watch a lot of his content. I watch a lot of you. Like, have you probably have you seen a Lex Friedman's show? I'm not sure. He's a podcaster. I'm trying to think what else. I watch a lot. Like, when I'm recording, I'll put YouTube on and I'll watch, like, video. Like, I'll just have video games on. So I just have something to, like, look at, you know, while I'm recording the same part over and over and over again. So, like, I've watched, like, Resident Evil long play videos. 
what else do I watch? I watch infographics a lot. They talk about history and they talk about like, you know, what if the world exploded in a nuclear war, that kind of thing. I, I watch a lot of YouTube. Like, it's my favorite yeah. technological advance since 2004 or five, whatever. Yeah. It's my favorite more than the smartphone. Yep. And it's also weird because I don't watch YouTube on my phone. It just doesn't, it doesn't hit the same. Yeah, no. Yeah. I always have uh, one window dedicated for YouTube. Mm-hmm. So I can just type, search, whatever. Yeah. Whenever. I love YouTube. I watch Vlad TV. I don't know if you ever, you ever watch Vlad TV. He's a, he was a DJ back in the day, but now he just has like a, a hip hop news station. So he interviews a lot of like contemporary figures in rap music. There's a YouTube channel called Blackie Speaks who does hip-hop commentary. There's another one named Sean C who does hip-hop commentary. I watch a lot of hip-hop commentary, which is funny because I don't listen to that much rap music, but I do try to keep up what's going on in the in the, the world of music. I don't watch much Anthony Fantano. I see his TikToks a lot, and I'll watch reviews of albums that I like am interested in his thoughts on, but I don't really watch that much of his content anymore. The last video of his, I just wanted to see what he said about the Drake album, so I watched his live reaction video to Drake's Honestly Nevermind, and then I watched his review, which was only like maybe 12 minutes long, and he gave it a not good. <laughs> which, for a Drake album, man, that's pretty devastating, dude. So I'll probably watch his one with when he does his one for the new Beyonce album, see what he thinks about it. Okay, cool. Is there anything you would like to add that I haven't asked you about? No, man, I think you covered a lot. You asked good questions, especially those last year. I really had to think about those. Okay, cool. Here's the last question. Cool. What is something absurd you love or do? Something absurd that I love or do? It could be something that you really like, or it could be something you do that you really love that's absurd. I'm thinking. Something absurd. I'm going to give you an answer. I just don't know what it is yet. Something absurd, man. I don't know. I lift cinder. That's not really. I, don't, I feel like lifting cinder blocks isn't absurd. That's just like a cheap alternative to weights, and I'd happen to have them at my house. People might find this absurd. I will buy several versions of the same shirt. Like I have like several of the same. Like they're like Wrangler Comfort Flex shirts, so they're kind of like this, but they're like not as nice. And I have them, in, I have like three of them in the same color, and I have like three H&M Oxfords in the same color, and I have like a dozen H&M white t-shirts in the same color. Like I, I will, I will buy the same thing over and over and over again, <laughs> which I'm not gonna like. Like in in one respect, it's like a um, it it's a functional thing. Because I have to think less about like what I put on, and I know that I have something I just feel comfortable and I feel like my best in. But I feel like there is an element of compulsion in it because I had this one period last year to where like I bought like four Carhartt J97 jackets, which is like probably the most financially like absurd and impulsive thing that I've ever done in my life because I just kept buying them. Like this is I would like I. And it's, I don't know if you ever do shit and you just, like, watch yourself do it and be like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> so, like, I, I, I quit Lyft and I cashed out my 401k and I put it in my savings account. And I all of a sudden just had all this money just sitting there. And I was also just in a massive transitional period. And when you're in a transitional period, things get scary and you get emotional. And you're prone to behavior that you just... You, you, 
moment. Yeah, and you, you and you know better, right? Like rationally, you know better, but you're in a thing where you just have this like need to just do these things. And I like like the J97s are like vintage. Like, I don't make them anymore, and they're they're cut differently than most Carhartt jackets. And I saw one, I was like, dude, I want one of those, and I found one, and I bought it on eBay. And they like they weren't cheap. They were like a hundred eighty dollars because they like because Kanye West wore one. Like all the little vintage kids were, like obsessed with them or whatever. And then like eBay started recommending the other ones, but the other ones were like progressively cooler than the last one. And it's like I shouldn't buy. It. And then I bought like I bought four of them. You know what I mean? It's all the same one. No, they're different colors, but like but but still, like you know what I mean? Like there's like I, like I have like a green one that's like planks like paint splatter over it and then I have this gray one that was like from like a, a drilling company or stuff something like that so it has like custom like stitching on it and stuff like that it was like don't get me wrong it, it's nice to have them and I'm glad that I have them but like it is the, the most financially irrational thing that I can think of maybe ever doing and I could not believe like like when I think about it I was like I cannot believe that I did that but point being that in of itself was a little absurd but I also I do like have a pattern like I think the most compulsive thing that I can think of that I do is like I will buy several versions of the same thing. I have like four Timex Expeditions. I only have one G-Shock though. For some reason that, that the G-Shock bug didn't hit me. But like when I go and I look at the stuff that I have, it's like damn, you've got like six of those. And like I said, I don't have to think so much about what I put on, so that is nice. I mean, I think that there is value in having a personal uniform. But sometimes I like I haven't bought clothes in forever now, but sometimes like when i'm in those periods i'll feel the impulse to be like well damn you really like that shirt you should buy another one you know what i mean right instead of just having one backup what if you had five yeah no like that is an actual thought that i have and it's like like i've definitely bought three pairs of the same shoes this like, same color yeah really because i would wear them out so fast see that's kind of a different thing i, I don't know how often you analyze your own financial habits but like the thing you like you've read total total money makeover and whatnot. The thing that kind of irritates me about like finance gurus is that they make like the principles of personal finance are very logical. They all fall apart because we're not right. You know what I mean? Don't spend more than you make. Right. Which is easier said than done. Exactly. Yeah. As soon as life starts happening, you see why it's so hard to do that. And not even between like expenses, just like that means you have to say no to things. Yeah. Like like N O, those are the two biggest words and like, the two biggest letters in personal finance. The word no. It's hard for other people to tell us no. It's even harder for us to tell ourselves no. Yeah. Or there's also a third layer, telling other people no. Because yeah. like you know what I mean? Like like cause, you know like that's you, true. That's probably even harder than telling yourself no. Yeah. The thing with like Dave Ramsey is like he's talking to a, like a a mom and a dad who make a hundred thousand dollars a year but they're like two hundred thousand dollars in debt and he's like well you need to go down to thirty thousand dollars a year but they've got two kids you're gonna be saying no to those kids a lot and you know that most people are not strong enough to look those kids in the faces and say that we can't do this 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 and this especially when they're making a hundred thousand dollars a year it's a little hit to their ego yeah pride but clearly sometimes with money there are things going on inside that make you out of control with it definitely um, it can weigh on your emotions yeah when you don't have it you feel like empty or you feel like everything's scary yeah and then when you have an abundance of it you're like well it's not that great yeah you're like you're like well that's what it feels like when you 
don't have to worry about money. Like, uh, the best thing money can buy you, I think, is peace of mind. Exactly. I will say that. But it's easy to fuck your own peace of mind up when you get reckless with it. Anyway, man. All right, dude. Well, thanks for being on here. My pleasure. And hanging out. Dude, enjoyed it. Thank you so much. You're welcome.